This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you. That's our introduction. Leave it in. This, this exactly. is the intro here, exactly. Okay. All right. Scratch all that. All right. What should I say? I don't even know what to say. Leave it in. Yeah, we're we're, we're leaving all of this in, by the way. Um, <laughs> that's that is just how phenomenal of a guest Brian Vander Ark yeah. was. That he left. It was a couple weeks ago, and he left Pam speechless Bitter with patter. his. With this conversation, with the stories he told us. And when you guys are done listening to this, it'll probably affect you guys the same way. So be forewarned, you may spend the next two weeks unable to communicate with your loved ones, with your coworkers. So (laughs) like, give them a heads up. It's going to be all digital communication from this point forward. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Okay, tonight... We're joined by Brian Vander Ark, who is lead singer of the 90s rock band, The Verve Pipe, and all-around cool, super cool guy, Brian Vander Ark. Yeah, what, one of the, the cool things that I actually learned was I went to his website uh, during the uh, the taping of our episode, uh, and it's uh, brianvanderark.com. So if you go to that website, you actually get to see something pretty cool in the background is him uh, I'm going to say mid pandemic, near the end of the pandemic, hair uh, and beard is just, he looks homeless. Um, but then during that, he's cutting his own hair, he's shaving his face, and you just see this five course meal of a dish just emerge right in your face. And you're like, ooh, okay. Like I, I, I started to question some, some things of myself. You know, I, I became a little bit like Pam here to lead off this preview. He looks better now than he did in the 90s. No shit. Yes, a hundred percent. That video on his um on his page, it is goals for instant glow up, whatever you want to call it. It is hypnotic, it is mesmerizing. Um, I haven't closed that window in all this time. I loved it so much. It should win an Oscar. That's how great it is. At, at least for cinematography, right? Editing um, everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. Hey, Steve. So I know that uh during the episode we got to talking about um the marty ray project and know that you kind of went down a rabbit hole what was some of your favorite uh, uh favorite moments from the marty ray project yes i'd say flum and i uh are the inaugural members of the marty ray project uh fan club and he, yeah so that was the question uh that will be on this episode is kind of the favorite cover of the uh the freshman that was ever done and that was one of his uh spoiler alert so that kind of led us down a rabbit hole on YouTube. And it's just pretty much everything the guy does was fantastic. He's got a nice Tennessee vibe to it, it sounds like. Um, Flem, I know, can talk a little bit on this, too. The, the two of us kind of fell in love with that guy real quick. Yeah, the same night, I think right after the interview or the next day, we went through a 
wormhole of YouTube and immediately fell in love with his voice. It's insane, dude. Sickly talented. So uh, yeah, find out more about him from Brian. And then I'm sure if you just follow any of us or Steve and I, you'll be able to find him after that. Also, Brian really loves giraffes, but stick around to hear about that because that was just the weirdest thing I've ever heard anybody ever talk about with such passion. Obsession. Can't wait. Welcome to another edition of Lauer After Hours, and this evening we're thrilled to be joined by none other than the lead singer and songwriter of the band The Verve Pipe. He's also released four solo studio albums, and he's also collaborated with uh, one Mr. Jeff Daniels on an album, Brian Vanderark. Brian, how are you this evening? I'm all right. Thanks for having me. What's going on? Well, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really, really appreciate your time. Uh, we've got lots of questions uh, queued up for you, but I, I kind of want to touch on something uh, before we get started. I recently listened, and, and I say recently because I think it was just released uh, last week or maybe the week before, uh, a, a new album you just put out of all cover songs, I believe, or mostly covers, including uh, Time After Time, Black Hole Sun, uh, uh, the boys of summer, I believe is on there yeah. and, uh, it's fantastic. By the way, I highly recommend anybody that, that, uh, loves Brian's music or just loves a fantastic cover. I'm a musician myself. I love a good cover song because I love hearing what an artist that has no real, you know, connection to the song in your mind. Right. I love hearing what they can do with, with a piece of music like that. And I was just curious, how did you select those seemingly disconnected songs that ended up on that album? Well, I think they all have one thing in common. They're, they're standalone great songs. And right. that's, that's the most important thing. And what I tried to do in the first, it's called Planet Sunday Sessions, Volume 2. And the first time I did it, Volume 1, was I wanted to prove that you could take any song that's a great song and play it on acoustic guitar uh, or on the piano, and uh, and it would stand alone without all the production. For instance, the first volume I did, Detroit Rock City by Kiss, <clears throat> and it was just on the acoustic guitar, it was finger picking, and it, right. it came out great, super cool, I loved it. Uh, this time I went a little deeper with the production, Joel Ferguson produced it for me, and uh, and we added more instrumentation, but it's the same type of thing. I just wanted to prove that a good song is a good song, uh, no matter who does it, you know, and as long as you honor it, uh, but make it your own at the same time, then um, then it's valid, I think. Well, I think you knocked it out of the park. I, I really, really loved the cover of Black Hole Sun and how you played that on piano. That's a it's... tough one because, uh, you know, there are so many purists out there. I was worried about that because I did Smells Like Teen Spirit on the last album with just uh -huh. the acoustic guitar finger picking again. And, you know, and you got some purists that are like, you know, you should never ever try to mess with Cobain and and uh, but the Black Old Sun one man people are really digging so I'm I'm happy with that well you, you knocked it out of the park and it's it's incredibly haunting which is what I love about it and I always say if you want to hear the original there's lots of copies of it out there you know sure. you go yeah. to a cover song so that you can like you said prove that it stands on its own you, again fantastic job everybody go uh find that album now i believe it's available on your website uh yeah, Brian... stream on my website you can buy it there too i recommend okay. buying it 
Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. All right, we are going to throw it to Mark. He's got our first question for you. Go ahead, Mark. Brian, long time no see. So, hey, what's uh, up? Uh, I watched the Dr. Dre Jimmy IV right now, or is that your house? I'm in my office in my basement. It's it's like my guest room slash office. Oh, you don't normally travel with your cat, or uh, no? Well, that'd be weird. but anyways, so I watched the Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine documentary, and there's a point in the right. documentary where, where Jimmy Iovine realizes that the music industry changed forever, right? MP3s. So is there a moment in time where it snapped and, or you know, hit your head where you're like, I'm no longer going to be able to make an album and just live off those sales that the, the industry has changed? And I guess short-term and long-term, how does that change the way you are a professional musician? Good question. Mark, is it? Good question, Mark. <laughs> uh here's the deal like back when you know napster was going on and you know and uh, metallica was making a big stink about it about uh you know file sharing and that kind of thing i didn't think much of it i didn't really think much of it until i made my second solo record when i was meeting with my friend a great documentary uh documentary filmmaker uh stephen Cantor, and he said to me I don't even know why you're making CDs anymore. Nobody's going to be buying CDs. And I was like, I, my head was like blown away by this comment. I said, look, I make, you know, I, I sell four or 5,000 solo CDs with every CD right away very quickly. And he said, it's, it's just a waste. You, you know, nobody's going to buy them in the future. And I just, I didn't believe it. So I kept buying CDs and now I've got 4,000 CDs in my basement, essentially, you know, because manufacturers haven't changed, uh, you know, haven't changed the pricing or anything. It still costs as much to manufacture the CD and you have to buy a thousand of them to actually, you know, to just to uh, have them. So, and hardly anybody buys them. So the real slap in the face, I think was the, you know, the Verve Pipe record that came out in 2014, where, you know, we ordered four or 5,000 CDs and we sold a thousand pretty quickly and that's it. We heard selling and as time has gone by and each show we bring less and less cds because you used to go out with you know do one show and you'd have you know 50 cds and now you'd be lucky if you sell two or three of them you know so uh so 2014 i say was when it really knocked me on my ass you know but you know listen the the good thing about you know what's going on with the file sharing is that there's there's more accessibility um more people will listen to it uh streaming i don't make any money off streaming but more people will listen to it have the opportunity to hear it because we're not you know we're not on the tips of everyone's tongue as they say you know being a band that uh, has been around for so long and we don't have hit songs on the radio so you know there's upsides and downsides um you know for for four million streams of the freshman i got a check for two hundred dollars i mean you know you can't make a living off that i mean nobody can but the fact is, is that, you know, you know, a lot of times uh, now, if somebody streams something that's similar to me, they'll say, well, if you like this artist, you'll like this artist or whatever. And many people have discovered me through uh, the, that, those means. And then you get them, once you get them to listen to you and to check out your website and see what you got going on, then you get them to the Patreon page where they support you, you know, financially, whatever, by being your patron, that kind of thing. So there's ups and downs to it. Yeah, I hear you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Sure. All right. Uh, Mark, great question. I know he was really excited to, to meet you tonight and get to ask that. Um, you're a, a big hero of his. So, all right, we're going to go to Steve uh, next. Steve, go ahead. 
Hey, Brian, thanks for joining us. Uh, so, so kind of back to the uh, the cover songs that we discussed. Do you have um, any other famous person or just somebody on YouTube you saw the, the best version of The Freshman you've ever heard covered? Oh, that's a great question. You know what, Marty Ray, um, Marty Ray is a just, I just did a podcast with him last night, just a giant of a man. He's a huge man, big, huge beard. Uh, I highly recommend you look him up. The first time I saw him is they did a version of, uh, he and his band did a version of The Freshman. And it was great. It was really soulful and uh, had a bit of a twang to it because that's what he does. Uh, you know, uh, and that was probably the version that I liked the most. You know, Jay Brennan did a version of it. There was another alternative, alternative band that did a really polished version of it. But I got to say, Marty Ray really... Uh, really knocked it out of the park and, and i'm honored you know i get a lot of what's really fun now and today i reposted it on my instagram this uh this guy that uh i believe he's um from south america and he did a version of colorful which is the song from rockstar that the band did and that movie's huge in south america and uh central america uh and we've never even gotten down there but i get I get tagged all the time for people covering colorful uh, that can barely speak English. And so they're, they're a little bit off on the pronunciation of the words and, and things, words run together that shouldn't run together, but it's super charming. And that's probably the, um, the greatest compliment that somebody would take the time to learn the words of the language that they don't speak to sing a song that they love that much, even though they might not even know what the song means, you know? Anyway. Awesome. Thank you. Sure. All right. Up next, we're going to go out to the mayor of Cartersville, Georgia. One Mr. Mayor Matt. Go ahead, Mayor. Brian, great to have you with us. And uh, thank, thank you. you very much for spending some time with us. I don't like people that make me cry, and you made me cry today. Um, <laughs> I, but, but but I still like you because it was a good cry. Mm -hmm. And uh, Daddy's Girl. Uh, oh, I, don't yeah. how, I don't know how I have not heard that song before today, but it uh, it is phenomenal. No, I appreciate and it. And so I'd, I'd like to know if that song, I, I couldn't find out if you actually wrote that song or if you uh, somebody else wrote it and you performed it. And I'd like to know the inspiration behind it and if there's a personal uh, reason why you had that song. Yeah, well, good question. You know, uh, you haven't heard of the song because I don't have major distribution and, you know, uh, I have to do everything on my own. And so I get it out there as much as I can. No, that's my song. I wrote that song. I wrote it for my daughter, Evie. Um, and uh, just I love the idea of um, a dad's last dance with his daughter, you know, at her wedding and then watching someone else uh, sweep her off her feet and out of their life, you know. Um, and you know, that I've played that if I've done, you know, I'll do weddings every once in a while for fans or friends, mostly friends. And they always want me to play that song. That's one of the most common, uh, the most popular as I play. So I'm glad that touched you. I'm sorry I made you cry, though. <laughs> well, like I said, it was a good cry. I guess I do have a follow up that went on the list. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, touring. Uh, in a in a post-COVID world, uh, I actually have a, a 500-seat performing arts theater. And after listening to some of your stuff, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this! how much touring are you doing and, and whereabouts are you going? I tour uh, before COVID. I mean, I toured, I did 150 to 200 shows a year between speaking uh, speaking gigs. I go in and I, I usually talk to financial people in the financial markets. Um, 
the big banks and everything. And I go and talk about reinvention and what I've done as a musician and all these kinds of things. So including all that, I'm gone 150, 200 shows a year. Now last year, of course, it was cut down to about 50. I still did about 50 performances last year, but, um, but you know, it's picking back up. We just had our May tour cancel, unfortunately, East coast tour for two weeks. And now that got moved to September, but you know, we're going out and then we're going to continue on between verb pipe and solo and, and the speaking gigs. I, I do a lot of touring, so that'll happen. That'll happen. Mayor Matt, just Thank give me you. to come down there. Sure. Thing. Absolutely. Uh, how, how are you kind of scratching that itch? Not that there's any replacement for actually being on stage and getting to, to play music. I know there's not a feeling that, that comes close to it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't know about you, but how are you kind of replacing that? Have, have you found anything that kind of helps with, with no, missing you can't that? Really, you can't really replace it. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like it, you know, sitting like, you know, I sit here in the studio, I do my Patreon concerts. I did one la a couple nights ago. And you do that once a month. And, you know, a lot of people do the Facebook and Instagram concerts. I don't really do that. I really just do it for the patrons. But, you know, it's not the same thing. I mean, right. the, the nice part about it is I get done. I, you know, I go up to my own bed. <laughs> you know, I never have to leave. And I still get, you know, I get a nice chunk of change for doing it, which is good. But nothing takes the place of it. You know, I miss... I don't miss playing solo. I miss playing with the verve pipe. We, you know, we, we have eight guys that travel with us and it's just a blast. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great group of people and you know, it's, it's a family that you go out with. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you can't, I mean, essentially you can't replace it. All you can do is what I realized when COVID happened was the first thing I did was, you know, I went through my finances and said, okay, now we just had all, I had, we had 58 shows or something canceled. And I was like, all right, well, I'm a musician, we live paycheck to paycheck essentially. Uh, so I looked at our savings and I went, you know, I sat my wife down. I said, well, here's what we got and here's what we can do. And we can make it, we can actually make it for a couple of years without me playing any gigs, which is nice. Uh, been able to put some money away. Um, and that didn't happen. Um, so we didn't have to, you know, rely on, you know, uh, on pulling out of my IRA or anything like that. But uh, like I said, not being able to be able to go out and perform, I realized that it was the universe's way of telling me it's time to get creative. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at home. Start creating things. That's why I did the Planet Sunday sessions. That's why the Verve Pipe just finished up our... I don't even know what number album it is, but we just finished another album. <laughs> you know, I just finished my book in the last year. I painted the house, you know, it's like, I have this whole list of COVID accomplishments, but most of those are, you know, making videos for the band or whatever. And then these new albums that are going to be coming out. So we wrote like crazy during this time. I mean, that's, that's what you do. And you'll find now, I would say, you know, if, if the pandemic ends, which I'm not even sure if it ever will, but, I'm hoping that it does. And when things get somewhat back to normal where bands are touring, everybody's going to be out again. Everybody's going to have new material. I'm not doing anything different than anybody else. Right. And it's going to be a great time for music lovers. And it's going to be a shitty time for bands again, because bands always get the screw <laughs> <laughs> because they're streaming. And then there's going to be competition to get into clubs and the clubs are going to, you know, they're going to be able to negotiate and say, well, we're not going to pay as much and the whole thing because we can get this band for the amount we're getting you. Right. 
we're really going to get screwed. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it, around it. I'm prepared for that. But as long as we keep creating and we keep putting music out there and, and uh, trying to get out as much as possible, then I got a pretty good life. And, and honestly, I'm 56 years old. So it's like, it's, it's tapering off in a, in a type of way. I'll never retire, <laughs> but I'll be able to say, you know what? That gig sucked last year. I'm not going to go do that gig again. <laughs> right. You know, that's how I'm going to. Yeah. So, so I've got a little tapered thing going on. Right. right. Get, get to be a little choosier with, uh, yeah. with, with what you do now. That's, right. that's excellent. All right. Uh, up next, we are going to throw it to Lou Rafter. Go ahead, Lou. Hey, Brian. Hey, what's up, Lou? Um, oh, man, it was really good listening to you because uh, as you can see in my background, uh, I'm a failed musician and it's nice to seeing like a successful musician where like I feel like the the playing of music, like that feeling when you play music that means, some, means something to someone mm-hmm. feels really good. And it's nice to see that as someone that I didn't make it and that's fine and you made it, but like that connection of like, there's that feeling of, we play music and I like the way I play music. It feels good. Right. All right. And now can I, make, gonna... can I make a comment to that before you ask sure. your question? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing that here's what's great about what's going on today is that home studio recordings are, can be as good as any studio recordings. So there really is no, as far as I'm concerned, there's no real making it anymore. The, the, kid, the ones that make it now are going on the mask singer or not the mask singer, but you know, American Idol and, and, and the voice and all that other shit. These are the kids that are going to make it and they're going to have a huge splash. And then a lot of them will go away. Uh, but in getting signed to record labels, you know, it's, it's typically 360 deal now uh, where, you know, you pay 50% of your t-shirt sales and your concert tickets, you know, which is a terrible deal. So, really the idea of making it is subjective to, you know, who you are and what you want to do. So that's, that's just my own thing. But anyway. no, I think that's, that, that, that's great. I'm, I'm going to change it to an animal topic. All right. All right. <laughs> my 30 is going to throw you off. So you have to get rid of all the animals in the universe, but three, what three animals are you going to keep? Well, none of the ones that I have in my house. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Uh, I've always found, uh, giraffes absolutely fascinating. How this species is still on the planet is just ridiculous to me. Have you ever, you know how you say a word and it just loses its meaning. If you say it, somebody like we have so taken advantage of giraffes, like they're a ridiculous Imagine if you imagine there was no such thing as a giraffe and then you saw a giraffe. Wouldn't you just be like, this is not real. Right. So I got to say the giraffe owns part of that. (laughs) Number one, number one. That's my number one. Uh, Whatever is lurking at the bottom of the sea needs to be there because it scares the shit out of me. (laughs) I don't know what's down there. But I want something really, really dark and uh, disturbing to be at the bottom of the sea, which I know there is something there. And I think that keeps me in check. And uh, and I'll keep cats. (laughs) And cats. All right. Good answer. Good answer. All right. Uh, That was indeed out of left field. We call him left field Lou sometimes uh, because his his questions are are that random. That was a great, great question, Lou. 
All right. Up next, I'm going to throw it out to Jeanette. She's got one for you. Go ahead, Jeanette. Well, I kind of feel like I'm going to be on repeat because unbeknownst to him, uh, Mayor Matt kind of took my question about touring. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I guess the question, I'll, I'll change it up a bit. Um, when you would tour here in Los Angeles, what yeah. were some of your favorite venues to perform at? You know, House of Blues, we played a few times uh, and I really liked it. But I, my favorite place that I've ever played in L.A. had to be the Mint. I don't know if the Mint is still around at all. Uh, I think it was on Pico. Uh, and it's a small place, got a nice little stage. And, uh, you know, I've played Hotel Cafe a few times, you know, and it doesn't compare to the place called The Mint. It just had a great vibe to it. And I love that place. And we haven't been to L.A. I haven't, been, I haven't played in L.A. I want to say 20, I want to say 2012, maybe or 2013 is the last time I played at Hotel Cafe, which I don't think is around anymore. Um, Largo's a great place to play, too. But uh, but I got to say The Mint. And, and I'm going to look that up because I'm not sure it's still around. Anyway, but the band playing, you know, the band always played at House of Blues. I think that was that and the Wiltern, I think we played. And then that's about it. Yeah. And you'll be very thrilled to know the Mint is still um, there. It is. Oh, great. So whenever, you know, if you're going to this year, next year, hopefully you get to make it. Um, and I am going to put it out into the universe that we have this resurgence of vinyl has come back. The youths have brought back vinyl. Love it. So I am also going to just put it out there. Youths bring back CDs, help Brian out. Yes. I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All Thank right. You. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeanette. Up next, we're going to throw it out to Flem and M. Go ahead, Flem. Hey, Brian, I uh, appreciate you joining us. I kind of just want to hear you talk about giraffes for an hour, but I won't do that to you. <laughs> so I actually have a question. So you had a um, more intimate type of tour that like you were doing for a while, unless I'm mistaken, called, uh, was it Lawn Chairs and Living Lawn Rooms? Lawn Chairs and Living Rooms, yep. Yeah, so I had a friend do something similar, and every now and then he would have a pretty awkward scenario. So I was curious, one, how you came up with the idea to do it, and you can explain to the audience what that is. Yeah. Um, and then just the most awkward situation you were in, um, in that type of intimate setting. Cause I imagine there's some people that their personal space is different definitions than yours. <laughs> yeah, there are different, especially when you don't know the people, that's the issue. Well, it happened because, you know, my wife and I bought a house in 2008 during the housing crisis. And then we ended up, we couldn't pay our mortgage, you know, and this was that, this is about that time. This was way before the time that, you know, CDs weren't uh, selling at all, but it was still hard to get booked anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I had some woman write me and ask me if I'd play her birthday party. And I was like, kind of a rock star. I don't play birthday parties. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, she, she wrote me back. She said, uh, I'll pay you $2,500. I'm like, Pfft what time is that party? You know? And so I went to her house and played and she set up folding chairs in front of her fireplace. And, and, you know, there were family photos on the walls and fresh flowers and the you know vases and all this. That was like the best venue had ever been. And this is back in 2008. So nobody was really doing it. Uh, so it was kind of a new thing. She just wanted music in her home. And I was like, man, this would be something. I'm driving home that night. In fact, I had a check for $2,500 in one pocket and I had $500 in cash for merchandise sales in the other pocket. 
And I'm like, I got 4,000 people on my mailing list and they all have birthdays. That's $10 million, you know? And uh, <laughs> I had to lower my expectations. But the next morning I sent an email out and I said, listen, let's cut out the middleman. Just book me into your home. And I'll come play for an hour. And I'll stay for an hour afterwards and, you know, autograph some pictures and teach your kid how to play a couple guitar chords or something. And I book, I've sent the email out and I booked 52 shows like in 24 hours. It was crazy. Wow. It was crazy how many people wanted music in their homes. Again, this was 2008. So, you know, we didn't really know what it was. We didn't know how to really do it. You know, now house concerts have become so popular. But back then, what I figured out is that I don't need a PA system to do it. So I could just travel with a guitar. So the next year I booked 110 shows in just the summer months going from show to show to show three or four a day on the weekends, you know, St. Louis, somebody in St. Louis would say, come do a show. And then I booked the show and then we would put an email blast out to St. Louis and, and say, Hey, Brian's coming down there. You can, you can get on a show for half the price or whatever. And then that's how we'd get another six shows for me in St. Louis on one weekend. So it really was like, and I did so many of these over the course of 13 years. I just retired it a couple of years ago uh, because it was too much, too many gigs, uh, yeah. you know, going to two shows a day and then playing a kid show with a verb pipe and then playing a verb pipe show that night. It was like four shows, ridiculous. Uh, and I just said, I got to, I got to quit that. So I ended up giving it up. Uh, but I did over 800 house concerts in the 13 years. It's ridiculous amount of house concerts. So yes, you're going to end up getting to some that are uncomfortable, which is what I was getting to. You know, the woman that said there was going to be 50 people and it was just her in a wedding dress. That was a, that was an odd <laughs> one. Well, I, I, okay. Explain, <laughs> it's explain a away. It's a you cannot over detail that story. It didn't happen. Oh, that, Jesus. That was my greatest fear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that she would want to hear the same song over and over again too. Was another thing. It was like, Oh my God. No, the weirdest one ended up being great. It's, I just went, it was at Possum Kingdom Lake in Texas, which sounds really odd, but it's a beautiful lake and this guy uh i got there and he goes well we're gonna go on the speedboat and i was like what and he took me out in his speedboat it was just me and him and uh, i think his wife was there and it's maybe another couple so there's like five of us on a speedboat and we're out in the middle of possum kingdom lake it was awesome i mean first you go man i don't know if i trust this guy getting a speedboat with this guy <laughs> have a few drinks now this guy ends up being one of my best friends now he's he's a you know uh he's a very well-to-do man and he ended up uh investing in my first planet sunday sessions album and now this one too so i always get to go to these people so these connections that you make at first they seem odd. At first they seem, you know, you, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. Every single door that I went up to for the first timers, at least, I had no idea who was behind that door other than through an email. I didn't know what to expect. Knock on the door and you just sit there with your guitar and you go, God, I hope that they're nice people, you know? And they, out of 800 of them, I maybe had three or four that I wouldn't do again. And then the only wow. time I wouldn't do them again is because they might be a, Perhaps they thought it was background music, you know, where everybody's chit-chatting and you're just playing in a corner when this was really supposed to be a show. But other than that, there weren't a lot of bad experiences. Yeah, that, that would be the worst is to treat you almost like a wedding DJ where it's just kind of in the background yeah. for um, an intimate player. But... And you know what? I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, is it Frank? Yeah. I'll be honest with yeah. you, Frank. Uh, you, the worst ones were always the rich, rich people. Rich people do the worst house concerts because... <laughs> 
there's this there's this i mean i'm talking about the really rich but yeah there's this kind of uh this idea that you're the help you know what i mean this this like they're like maybe somebody heard that i was a musician and so they'll pay a lot of money and you go there and then you're exactly that you're in the background you know you got to come in through the kitchen you know what i mean they don't have any idea what this is about Poor people put on the best house concerts ever. Honestly, I've done them in apartments. Well, we're, if we're paying you $2,500, we're, we're going to make sure there's a truth. <laughs> oh, my God, no. I don't want to give the impression that I only did it for $2,500, too, because we there was a time where it was just like, I wanted to, like, make connections with the fans that I had lost. We had one and a half million people buy our album, Villains, and I lost all those people. So I wanted to rebuild that. So we would go into, you know, we would go into homes. I'd go into a home for way less than that just because I wanted to make that connection. So there were a lot of, uh, like I said, you know, it, you know, sometimes you're in an apartment with four or five people and you're, uh, and then the next, the next day you're in a mansion somewhere. I mean, it was all over the map. It was great. It was great. So I don't want to go too much time. When you mentioned Rich and Mansion, and just yeah. if you have a name, if it's a yes or no, did you ever do somebody famous's house? Oh yeah, I did. Uh, I did Louis. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Armstrong. Did... Anderson. No. Anderson. Louis Anderson. Thank you. Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, I did Louis Anderson's. Uh, I did a, a part. Uh, did a birthday party for his partner. Okay. Uh, and that was at the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel in one of the suites there. And it was uh, it was great. Super fun. He was awesome. Very charming. Very funny man. And uh, he he they loved it. I mean, he you know, when you do I think when you do actors places, they understand that, you know, you're performing you know, and so they'll gather everybody around and they'll say, hey, we're going to have some music. Everybody come on in. You know, they only want you to play. You play 20, 30 minutes or whatever. Uh, so it's a lot different from playing somebody's house in the Midwest. But again, they're great. The, the more different they are when you do 800 of them, the better. Because then they all start blurring together. I imagine if they're all the same, you know, that would be, yeah. I would quit a lot earlier. So cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Sure thing, Frank. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right. Speaking of the woman wearing a wedding dress when you show up to her house after she's booked a show, I'm going to throw it up to Halloween Basic Pam up in Virginia. Go ahead, Pam. Oh, basic. Hi, Brian. Hi there. 
Okay, so I was at the peak of my life um, when the Verve Pipe was at the peak of fame. Uh, high school in the 90s, college in the 90s. Nice. Um, I am a super, super, super fan, so I'm crazy nervous, so I apologize in advance. No worries. Um, I was a super angsty kid and like listened to your music on repeat and burned up multiple CDs to the point that you couldn't even really hear them play because I had played them out so much. Um, so I, this is way off track. Um, I wanted to ask you about your book. You said you finished it, which I had asked Mark earlier if the book was still in progress. Um, can you tell us about your book? What is it about? Where can we find it? Yeah, that's nice. Thanks. Thanks for asking me that. Uh, I don't know where you can find it yet. It's not. It's not published yet. Been going back and forth with, with a few different publishers. Um, the book is the story of what the freshman did. It's. It starts out as it's. It starts out as me as a um, as a child though, and my my imaginary friend Jesus. Yeah essentially. I had an imaginary friend, Jesus. And, you know, we grew up in a very Christian reformed home, but my <laughs> Jesus was Gene Wilder. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a Sunday school teacher who said, make Jesus your friend. She was a mini skirt wearing Sunday school teacher, very avant-garde, you know, for Sunday school for Dutch Christian reform. And she said, make, make Jesus your friend, make him somebody familiar. My, her Jesus was Donny Osmond, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she would talk to Donny Osmond, you know, and then I remember this kid, Brian Bickering, uh, got in trouble because his Jesus was uh, Fred Flintstone. And he had a, and he was talking, he got caught talking to his poster of Fred Flintstone, asking him questions like, you know, were cavemen real and this other stuff. His parents got him. So they fired the Sunday school teacher. So what I'm getting at is that through my whole life, uh, up until I married my wife, this Gene Wilder Jesus, my my Jesus was Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, and then he turned into stir crazy uh, Gene Wilder uh, later. Uh, he was he was my companion, and so I would talk to him. We had conversations, funny conversations about life and stuff like that. But all the while, going through the army when I was in the army, and uh, going through you know the first uh, round of the band, you know, in '92, and then you know, getting signed to RCA and all the little Elvises, they call it Elvis. Uh, they call all the uh, reps at RCA Elvis because Elvis built RCA. Um, so it's a story of the band, but all, but mostly about the writing of the freshmen and my own moral uh, dilemmas and, uh, and these conversations about music and everything uh, with Jesus and, and also my old drill sergeant. So there you go. It is. It, it, you can see why publishers are scratching their head right now. Like, uh, but my wife. Listen, my wife is a uh, is an avid reader, and she loved it. And I was like, she doesn't really like any of the music that I make. So I was like, so thrilled that she actually loved the book. So uh, we'll see if I can get a publisher. And when I do, uh, people can find it on my website. It'll be called When I Was Young. I knew everything. There you go. Except how to write, and there'll be a subtitle, except how to write a second hit song. So, awesome. <laughs> so much. And again, this has been such a thrill for like this angsty 90s something college kid who absolutely loved you guys and still loves you and still That's so nice. Music. I appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
That's the perfect title for a book, uh, particularly for Pam. She has three teenage daughters. So that title, uh, when I was young, I knew everything I feel like is right up there. Allie, am I, am I right, Pam? Absolutely. We had okay. a conversation last night where my <laughs> high school senior informed me that I don't understand because it's past my day. I don't get it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I have those same conversations with my daughter. So believe me, you're not alone. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We're going to throw it next to our foreign correspondent, Morgan from Australia. Go ahead, Morgan. Hi, I'm so sorry. I just can't stop laughing about the giraffe. It's, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, it is amazing that those motherfuckers come out and they walk that day. Like, that's I amazing. Know. Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. They uh, just like it. all come out like. Yeah, ready to great, go. Great and for they're ready to oh, go. Oh, audio medium um i wanted to know um where has been the best place you've toured to and the worst place you've toured to i am not and for you to ask me this question australia was probably the best place we had ever toured and i'm not and i'm not just saying that because you're on the call let me tell you why i had no idea what to expect but australians were the greatest they i didn't know that they loved americans uh when we were there at least in the 90s they did and we had an absolute blast with those people it was just so much fun i mean it was so much fun it was a drunk drunken tour that's for sure but that probably was and if i could get back there i would get back there in a second for sure so i gotta say out of all the places we've been to japan we've been all over europe a few times uh I got to say, Australia was really the best. And that was right at the end of our tour. We had been on tour for two years straight and they tacked it on and we were like, oh my God, we can't do this. It's, you know, it's too much. And once we got there, oh my God, I think we spent 10 days there. It was the best. Loved it. So. Uh, did you go to Sydney? We did. We were Sydney and, uh, oh man, Melbourne and uh, where else? Oh. I don't Sydney, remember. As long as Sydney was terrible. You can say Sydney was terrible. I'll let you know. I don't remember that. I don't remember specifics about it. I don't remember the specific uh, club. Yeah, I'm glad the, the people Sydney, were nice but, to you. But the people, the people were, were nice. nice. Yeah. And Pam lived in Japan too. So. Yeah, I Not never yet. bring that up. So thanks, Morgan. It's, it's okay. Um, oh, I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed um, my country. And anytime you can get back down here, um, we're up and running. So Love come on it. down. I love it. All right. Uh, the the worst place that you toured? Peoria. <laughs> I love it. Did not hesitate. No. Did not like off the dome immediately had that ready to go. Excellent. All right. Peoria, I, uh, I got to say Peoria or uh, Couts, Indiana. Those two Couts as a solo artist was the worst I'd ever played. Uh, it was awful. There's a law school nearby and it was just a bunch of assholes <laughs> and in Indiana. So it was, you know, smoky people blew what uh smoke into my wife's face she was pregnant intentionally blew smoke in her face oh, it was God. like it was you know very close to fisticuffs uh for me playing that show but peoria was just the worst we had the worst verb pipe gig uh ever there years and years ago this is 1993 i should probably not hold a grudge <laughs> no no they've uh they they have to redeem themselves until then you're allowed to hold that grudge absolutely 
Good. Thank you. All right. I'm going to throw it to Beep Count. He's got a question for you. Go ahead, Beep. Hey, Brian. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, This is kind of a two-part question for you. Um, What is a song that you wish could have been a theme song for a TV show? What is the song and what is the show? Oh, that's a good one. Oh my God. You know, (laughs) if there was, if, if the TV, if I had, if I had my own TV show that didn't, if there was a TV show I could make up and did not exist, I would put a song that I wrote called, I don't want to be a bother. It's on a solo record. It's kind of an anti-religion song and the song and this, the, it would be a, a hour long episodic about growing up in Western Michigan and under the Christian reformed church and the, the uh, myopic view of everyone when I was a kid, like you couldn't swim on, we lived on a lake and we couldn't swim on Sundays, you know, even though it was, you know, 90 degrees in Michigan, uh, that kind of thing. And it would be a funny show and it would be the song I, I have called, I don't want to be a bother. I mean, that's, that's an honest answer. Now that probably means nothing to any of you that has no idea what it's like to live in Western Michigan or to hear, or I did not know that song, but that's the honest answer. That's what, that's, I think what it would be. It would be, yeah. That's a good song. Awesome. Thank you. You know that? All right. Yeah. Mark, Mark knows all of your stuff. Like I said before, he's a, he's a huge fan of yours. Um, got, got all of it committed to memory. West all right. Say that again, Mark. I'm sorry. West Michigan's getting a little better every year. A it's getting better. much better. No, I, Mark's right. When we, when I moved here with my wife, my wife's from California and I said, we should move to Michigan. Michigan's a great place to raise a family, you know, and it was still pretty Christian reform back then in 2000, that was 2003, 2004. But, you know, and the only place to go eat, remember back then it was like, you go to Chili's or something, there was like one or two like nicer Italian restaurants, but it was the, it was just the worst. And now it's great, great restaurant. I mean, it was before the pandemic, great restaurants and uh, it's a fantastic place. And there's not nearly as many churches per, you know, uh, excuse me i think there are as many churches but <clears throat> not as many uh people in the congregation as it used to be so you okay brian i am thank you all right up next i'm gonna throw it to steve he's got some rapid fire questions for you go ahead steve yeah brian so i got a, a kind of two-parter but not related to each other whatsoever uh, so, so the first one band that you were around growing up uh, in the industry that you're shocked never made it huge um, and then the second one would be um, if there's ever if there's a guitar that you wish you owned, like a, like George Harrison's Lucy, kind of like a favorite, uh, a famous guitar that you wish that you could uh, you could own. I mean, I wish I had Springsteen's Telly. I mean, that would be the, probably be the one, you know, I'm not a huge Telly fan, but just the fact that he's had it this many years and he's written so many iconic songs on it. I think that that would be a pretty good one to have. Um, a band that uh, never really made it probably was a band called the Atomic Numbers. I produced them in 1999 and they were just the best band in Michigan and then best band in the Midwest. They were a fantastic Detroit band and wrote amazing songs and they had everything good looking guys. They were just phenomenal and they were artistic and cool and, and everything. And uh, nobody signed them or picked them up and they didn't go anywhere. And it was really a shame. Uh, and they broke up shortly after the album came out. So very, uh, very uh, depressing era for all of us over that record. But 
that would be my choice. Perfect. Thanks. All right. I'm going to throw it up to another fellow Michigander, Stupak. Stupak, go ahead. What up, though, bro? Hey there. All right. You got to battle B Rabbit off 8 Mile. What's your first four bars? Go. <laughs> uh, okay. Clearly, you're not from the Michigan I know. <laughs> you're from the east side of the state. I have zero idea on how to even answer that. Stu, what would no, yours be? <laughs> no problem, bro. Good looking, man. Thanks for coming, though. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. Uh, maybe we can have you back on uh, just to answer that, that one specific one. After you, you get in the lab, come up with some bars, and then uh, and then we can have you back on. All right. I am going to throw it back to Lou Rafter. He has a little something for you. Go ahead, Lou. All right. Actually, I have one more thing, Brian. Uh, yeah. What I was asking. So from all your experience, would you rather play to a full stadium of fans that are kind of into you, kind of seriously into you, or play like a five people like in their house? Like what's what would you prefer? I would imagine that the full stadium would get old after a while when they're not really into you. So yes, I say for the sake of ego, if it's just a personal thing and not a financial thing, I do better with five people for sure. I can have a connection with people. Uh, I'm pretty good at connecting with people. I really like people. I like hearing their stories and you don't have that opportunity when you play in front of a lot of people. Now, if we're talking about my livelihood, yes, I would rather play in front of a stadium full of people and I don't care if they like it or not. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, so, uh, knowing, knowing that what you do, we made you a hat. Uh, Look at that. Yep. Right. Oh, so we got you. So when, when the, the, you know, world gets back to normal, you got a hat for you, bet, and then you know we put your little your logo on the back. You just your name on the back. That's perfect. You know I can't wear that out in public, right? A hat with your name on it. What you don't want to wear a jersey with your name on it? Also, you have an excellent head of hair still, so I would not put anything on top of that. You know what? I think Mark should wear that hat. Actually, that's a, that's a great look on Mark. Well, yeah, your your sister bought me a, a Verve Pipe T-shirt. You know, so I have I have one of those. So oh, you do. All right. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of surprised you're not wearing it right now. All right. Well, I have another Mitten State shirt on. Just Macker. But oh yeah, nice. Not that one. It's in the wash. That's right. Uh, Brian. Thank you so, so much for joining us this evening. We could not be more thrilled to have you, and we appreciate your time so very much. You, you've been incredibly generous. Uh, on the count of three, I need to thank you, Brian, from everybody in the chat. One, two, three. Thank you, Brian. Brian, before we let you go, where can everybody find you? BrianVanderock.com is the best place to find me. Uh, everything is on that site. I just put a new blog up about writing freshmen. That went up today. Uh, you can find that uh, on my Facebook page and LinkedIn and Twitter and the whole thing and Instagram as well. So check out that if you're interested in how I wrote the freshmen, how that came to be. So uh, I think, man, this is a lot of fun. You guys are a great group. 
Thanks for this. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.